The Old Testament reading for the 13th Sunday after Trinity is from 2 Chronicles, chapter 28. The men of Israel took captive 200,000 of their relatives, women, sons, and daughters. They also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded, and he went out to meet the army that came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that has reached up to heaven. And now you intend to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem, male and female, as your slaves. Have you not sins of your own against the Lord your God? Now hear me, and send back the captives from your relatives whom you have taken, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Certain chiefs also of the men of Ephraim, Azariah the son of Johanan, Berechiah the son of Meshalamel, Jezekiah the son of Shalem, and Amasaph the son of Padlai, stood up against those who were coming from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives in here, for you propose to bring upon us guilt against the Lord, in addition to our present sin. For our guilt is already great, and there is a fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the assembly. But the men who have been mentioned by name rose and took the captives, and with the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them. They clothed them, gave them sandals, provided them food and drink, and anointed them, and carried all the people among them on donkeys. They brought them to their kinsfolk at Jericho, the city of palm trees. Then they returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You
might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
but Galatians and Luke being matched together is a masterful turn of theology. Because what we have before us today is a great opportunity for a catechetical sermon. That is, we're all going back to the social room right now, maybe not physically, but mentally going back to the social room. We're going to learn a part of the catechism. The parable of the Good Samaritan and Paul's statements of the purpose of the law being a guardian until the intermediary Christ comes, these come together to ask one question. If we are saved by faith, and not by works of the law, then what in the world do we do with the law? What purpose does the law have in the life of the Christian? If, in fact, Jesus is our good Samaritan, if Jesus has saved us in the way that the law, symbolized by the priest and the Levite, cannot. If that is the case, then why do we have anything to do with the law? Is the law therefore completely null and void, and we don't need to listen to God's law anymore? Well, we know this isn't the case. So what function does the law have? Well, if I were a student in catechism class, and I had to take sermon notes right now, I would write down that the law has three functions. Okay, I'm just making sure they're writing it down. Or maybe I can look out at you. Maybe you can write it down also. The law has three functions. Curb, mirror, and guide. The first function of the law is to curb sin. That is, God gives the law for the good of his creation. God created this world to be ordered. And any upset of that order pulls apart the good blessings that God wants to give to us in creation. So God gives the law to limit or to prevent gross sins. We know this from St. Paul's inspired letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, Law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their father and mother, for the murderer, the sexually immoral, homosexuals, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. God has written the law onto our hearts so that we could all, Christian or not, live in a peaceful society and enjoy God's blessing. The second use of the law is a mirror. This is 
misuse of the law that we are so well aware of. Because this is the use of the law, the function of the law that is always in use. The law always reveals our sin, and the law always condemns us for it. There's a great Latin phrase that's used in the Book of Concord, lex semper accusat, that is, the law is always accusing. St. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, For by works of the law no man will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We will hear more about Romans chapter 3, verse 20, later. We see the second use of the law taking place in the lawyer's heart in our reading from Luke chapter 10. Remember, the lawyer came up to put Jesus to the test. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus simply asked him, Okay, what does the law of God say? Well, there are two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And as the lawyer was saying this, just as we say this, we are cut to the heart. Because as I say to you, God commands that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that I love my neighbor as ourselves, as myself. I can think back to this past week when I did not do that. The law accuses us. God's law stands there as a very clear mirror. And no matter how much you fight against it, you aren't going to break it. So the lawyer tried to justify himself. And he tried to do it falsely by means of the law. If I can qualify who is my neighbor, and say that my neighbor is just the guy who lives next to me, who keeps his lawn mowed and knows the property line and is really quiet after 8 o'clock at night, I can love him like I love myself. And therefore I can fulfill the law, and therefore I can justify myself, and therefore I can inherit eternal life. But Jesus explains, no. In fact, your neighbor is the one that you don't want to love. As a matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 that it is impossible for us to justify ourselves according to the law. He says that that is not the purpose or the function of the law. <clears throat> the third function of the law is God. God has given the law not only to accuse us. The law always accuses, but it does not only accuse. Because the law is also for the Christian. For us, the law does not 
vanish away. Instead, it guides and directs our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. We're going to sing this hymn. I can't remember if it's today or if it's coming up, but one of my favorite hymns, The Law of God is Good and Wise, and sets God's will before our eyes. Or, to use the words inspired by the Holy Spirit, in Psalm 119, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or as Solomon shares the inspired holy wisdom in Proverbs chapter 6, for the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline by the way of life. We Christians hear God's law, and we, inspired by the Holy Spirit, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, endeavor to live according to it. So there are three functions to the law, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. And I said that we would get back to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and we get back to it with this question. What isn't the function of the law? What does the law not do? For by the works of the law, no human being is justified. You cannot be justified. You cannot be seen right and holy by works of the law. Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 15, for the law brings wrath. The law simply cannot justify us and make us right with the God. That is not the function of the law. That is why the priest and the Levite had to walk past the man who was caught among the robbers. The priest and the Levite represented the law. That's why Jesus chose them to be priests and Levites in the parable. That man who was caught among the robbers needed someone to come who was outside of the law to stoop down, to take care of him, to rescue him, to receive the blessed inheritance of everlasting life, we need the promise of the gospel. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died The law says that you are a sinner. When you examine your life according to God's law rightly, you confess, I am a poor, miserable sinner. But Jesus died for you. While you were still an enemy of God, while you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus took on your flesh and he took your sins to the cross and he was killed for it. He buried that sin in the grave. This is the lesson that Jesus taught to the lawyer with that parable of the Good Samaritan. You are lying half dead in a ditch, beaten up by sin in the world. And you need Jesus, who is your good neighbor, to come and bind you up. The law cannot do it. Jesus, God.
fact, not only has Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, but he has carried you here to the end of his church. And he has been the innkeeper to care of you, to ensure that you are nurtured and bound up in fact, so that when he returns, he can take you to himself. You don't inherit eternal life by the law. You can't. That isn't the function of the law. But Jesus has died for you. In the eternal promise of the gospel, you are sons of God. In Jesus, you are full of eternal life. Amen. This peace of God which surpasses all our understanding will guard you with your hearts and minds and truth life everlasting. Amen. Amen.